What's up, guys? I'm Jared Lopes, and you're listening to the Dad Tired Podcast, where I'm helping everyday families learn how to follow Jesus in everyday life. How's it going, guys? Jared Lopes back here with you on the Dad Tired Podcast. It's good to be with you. If you're new to Dad Tired, welcome. We're glad to have you. Uh, We'd love to have you come hang out with us. You can do that by going to dadtired.com. Click the community tab that will link you over to a closed group on Facebook where we've got a bunch of guys, thousands of guys from around the world who are taking their faith, their family, and their marriage very seriously. Um, it's a good place to connect, get prayer requests, sh- give advice, uh, get advice, all kinds of good stuff. So dadtired.com, click the community tab. If you've not picked up the Dad Tired devotional, it releases, uh, it will start shipping in a couple weeks. We've got tons and tons of pre-orders happening with lots of churches who are planning to go through it with their men's group. Uh, you can get that by going to dadtired.com and finding, uh, just click the devotional tab, pick up a copy of the devotional. It's meant specifically for men to fall more in love with Jesus. Uh, we're not about trying to change your behavior. It's called Stop Behaving. That's the name of the devotional, Stop Behaving, because we're not about behavior modification. We're not just trying to get you to behave well. We're trying to get you to fall in love with Jesus, point you towards Jesus, that you'd fall in love with him, either for the first time or again. And if that happens, then your behavior will naturally change as a result of your heart being changed by Jesus. So if you haven't picked that up, go to dadtire.com, click the devotional tab. Uh, we've got an interview today, which I'm super excited about, as I always am with my interviews. Listen, I never bring on anyone onto the show unless I am like a huge fan of them and I think the world of them. And I'm such a big fan that I reached out and said, hey, will you come talk with me? It's re- it's really just like selfish. Like I, <laughs> I just personally want to hang out with these guys and talk with them. And um, so if, if I ever have a guest on, just trust me. You got to trust that I'm not just trying to fill up the show with guests. Uh, I really am trying to bring like the coolest, best, most God-fearing uh, people that I know that are really going to be of value to you uh, as a listener. So uh, today I've got a guy named Shane Claiborne who I saw, I had read one of his books, I think right out of high school, fell in love with the book uh, and what God, how God was using him. And then my wife and I actually got to see him speak at a conference. And again, kind of my heart was just like, dude, this guy is, he's onto something here. Uh, he's preaching like truth and the gospel. And yet, it, why does it feel so radical? Isn't this what all the churches should be talking about? And why do I, why don't I hear other churches talking about this? This is crazy. And, uh, so it really, really fell in love with the way that God's using him. And uh, so he, he's written a ton of books. He's written a book called, let me see, I've got a list here, Irresistible Revolution, Red Letter Re- Revolution, Common Prayer, Executing Grace, Jesus for President, Becoming the Answer to Your Prayers, um, all, all kinds of books. I'll link all of these into, in the show notes. And if you're not a uh, signed up on Audible, uh, the audiobook um, company, if you're not already signed up with them, if you use the code DADTIRED, you can get one free audiobook. Um, at checkout. If you, you can also go to dadtired.com forward slash audible and just click that link and it'll immediately get you your free audiobook. But I, my wife and I actually just list, re-listened to his book, Irresistible Revolution, on a plane ride and back uh, as we were traveling. And uh, it's just so, so good. So uh, get pick up the free copy of, of the audiobook that he's, that he's put out, Irresistible Revolution irresistible revolution. Again, I'll put links to all of this in the show notes, but I promise you this is going to be, this might be my top three, top four favorite podcasts that we've uh, ever done on the show. So anyway, without further ado, please help me welcome my friend, Shane Claiborne. 
Shane, thanks so much for joining us on the Dad Tired Podcast. Uh, I just gave you an introduction, but in your own words, tell us who you are and what you're up to these days. Yeah, man, it's good to be on here. Uh, I've uh, been in Philly for the last 20 years. Man, that's wild. We'll be celebrating our 20th year. I'm a Tennessee boy that uh, grew up down south in the hills and uh, fell in love with the city. I went to school up here at uh, Eastern University, and that's what brought me me up uh, to Philadelphia. And, and then I really just fell in love with my neighborhood where I've lived for the last 20 years and, and uh, uh, the people here. So we've been building a little village here called The Simple Way. And uh, it started uh, when a group of homeless moms and kids were living in an abandoned Catholic uh, church building and they didn't have anywhere to go. So they were living in there. And we came alongside of them, and uh, um, our community started shortly after that. And we, we've been really inspired by the early church in the book of Acts, where it sh- says uh, that no one claimed any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. They worshipped uh, in the, each other's homes. And so we, uh, we, we, we like to say that the Gospels lived out of dinner tables and living rooms and uh, on the sidewalk. And that, that's what we try to do every day. That's awesome, man. And I know you talk about that a little bit in your, uh, your book, Irresistible Revolution, which we'll talk about a little bit more. But uh, what, I know you, you got a lot going on even as of you know, today, this week, this year. What, what, what are the current things that you're kind of passionate about? Well, the gardens are blooming, so that's great, you know. And we got these these five uh, new baby chicks in the backyard, Jared. So we got th- that going for us. We've been building a chicken coop. I like to think that we're 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 uh, wherever there's a crack in the concrete, we try to plant a garden, you know. Mm. So we've got like all kinds of beautiful stuff growing uh, in the in the cracks of the concrete here, and we've got a greenhouse and an aquaponic system which sounds really fancy but it's just a fish tank underground with plants that grow on top of it and we've got uh, murals and uh, after school programs and I'm looking out the window at an open fire hydrant which is a a Philly classic you know like uh, kids Mm. jumping in the fire hydrants and uh, it's an amazing neighborhood, you know, uh, it, it struggles financially because we, we, our neighborhood was built around factories that have left, um, and we've lost a hundred thousand jobs. Uh, mm. but you know, it, it, a lot of neighborhoods that are economically poor are community rich. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of things I'm proud of and I love calling this home. So I got dirt under my fingernails and been picking kale this morning, you know, out of our garden <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, outside of the, the, the kind of hyper-local world here, I've, I've been doing a lot of work around the death penalty. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by murder victims' family members that um, are really convinced that we can honor the victims of violence without creating more violence and making more victims, and, and we can do better than kind of killing to show that killing's wrong. So I've been doing a whole lot with that. And with people that were wrongfully convicted and sentenced to death uh, to die for things that they uh, had nothing to do with. You know, so I've worked with a lot of the exonerees uh, groups uh, like here in Philly, Witness to Innocence. It's all people who were wrongfully convicted um, and and, uh, uh, spent many of them decades on death row before proving their innocence. Um, 
and uh yeah we got a lot of gun violence so we've been working on that we've i've, I've just announced we're going to be writing a book on uh violence and but it's inspired by the prophets uh where mike and isaiah say god's people will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning hooks so this incredible prophetic image of turning uh things that have brought death into things that can cultivate life so we've literally been doing that uh work uh of inviting people to donate guns and melting them mm. down and turning them into plows <laughs> wow. so there's nothing like seeing an ak-47 turned into a garden trowel you know uh <laughs> so uh my friends uh that i'm doing all that work with is called raw tools uh which is war flipped around backwards raw mm tools.org and they're amazing blacksmiths that i'm working with on all that so uh yeah man never a dull moment so yeah jeez well i love what you said that wherever there's a crack in the ground we're trying to plant a garden and i think that's true that analogy i know you're talking a little bit practically there but uh, i think that analogy is probably true for your life as my wife and i have read uh several of your books and seen kind of the way that god is using you to speak into the cracks uh of our world and our society and and planting gardens so i love that analogy i love that word picture uh you recently i guess not so recently now uh, but you're you're fairly new married man 2011 am i right on that yeah man i i uh I, dude i i say i was single as long as jesus was you know and then <laughs> i got married to an incredible woman uh katie joe she's uh from north carolina and she fell in love with the city and fell in love with me and me her so we got married we actually got married in the old abandoned uh church building where we started and had our reception here on the block it rode off on a tandem bike with hands <laughs> flapping behind us you know it was wonderful so we've we've been uh, uh married for six years now that's awesome man well congratulations on that how do you, how do you compare serving the lord in your singleness versus versus serving the lord now that you're married you know honestly there's not too much that that has shifted uh People said, well, you know, it's all that radical stuff is cool when you're single, but once you get married, it's all, everything changes. Or then they say, well, once you have kids, everything changes. But you know what? I think it's all about who you marry and that, you know, that idea I always heard about being equally yoked or whatever, you know, I, I don't know if I knew exactly what that meant growing up, but, but I think like my wife is, uh, uh, in so many ways, she inspires me and is more radical than I am. And so one of the first things she did <laughs> when I got married is she goes, okay, we don't need air conditioning because the local school doesn't have it. She's an educator. So mm. the school's like a hundred degrees in the summer here. She's like, we need to be in solidarity with the school and our neighbors. So we're going to go without uh, air conditioning. She got rid of my microwave because she said, we're doing the slow food, the natural way. Got rid of my, we, we got rid of, so we don't have a TV, a microwave, air conditioner. I say I got married and became Amish, <laughs> you know. But I love, uh, I love it. She looked at my living stipend. She's like, we don't need that much money. We need to give more away. And so we, you know, I'm living off like uh, uh, less. I don't know, like twenty, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars or something like that these days. But I love it. We're so happy. We got each other. We got a neighborhood, and we we don't have kids, but we have so many kids in our lives that we just feel blessed, you know, uh, 
to be able to take care of other people's kids. And that also means we can send them home when we want to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're, we're loving it though, man. Yeah. 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 So what, what would you say kind of on the, on the, the point that you just hit there for the couples that are wired differently. Uh, so for the husband, that's real passionate about this area and the wife that's real passionate about this area. And they're trying to figure out like, how do you become one to serve together to become one heartbeat and put all your time and energy towards uh, something together? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's so important to process things together, like, because I I think sometimes we live in such an individualistic society, and even our spirituality is between us and God, and we end up uh, not, like, kind of living together in community or even in union of marriage is is kind of like exercising muscles that are countercultural in some ways, Um and so, uh, you know, some of the movements that we've watched, like the Catholic worker movement, which was a really radical renewal in the Catholic Church uh, uh, in the last, you know, uh, especially in like the, the, the 50s and 60s, um, but still exists to this day. But they said a lot of um, it, Dorothy Day and some of the other leaders of that, they began to see marriages that grew apart because one person in the marriage would get more radicalized. And so I think, you know, one of the things we did early on here is we said, when people come to experience things that transform them, like living uh, here at the Simple Way for a year or something, it, it really moves us. And so if you're in a serious relationship, like, you need to take those adventures together. So if someone's married, we don't like them to visit here without their spouse because they, you know, their politics, their theology, some of those things that they held true get challenged. Um, so I think, you know, when you commit to be one, you need to take some of those uh, uh, adventures together. Um, and so like for my wife and I, when I've, I've gone to um, uh, like the West Bank in Palestine, we've been. She she went with me. You know, we we've, we've experienced mm-hmm. some of these things that are really transformative together. You know, um, and uh, uh, so so I I think you know we got to do that. We got to create rhythms together for our prayer life and for our spirituality that feel authentic and natural. You know, and and even find ways that we can raise our doubts and our questions together. Um, and, and learn to listen to each other. So uh, we're, we're grateful to have a lot of elders in our life, too. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of younger couples need need some 80-year-olds, you know, that have been married for 50 years and stuff. And we're, we're grateful to have folks like that in, in our lives and that can, uh, you know, uh, walk alongside of us and kind of set the bar high for, for uh, what's possible. That's helpful. So for the husband, we got a lot of husbands, wives, moms, dads listening right, right now. And they're, they're maybe working long days. They're at home. They've got two, three, four kids running around screaming and yelling. House is chaotic and a mess. And they're just, I mean, they're exhausted. What well, we would say dad tired. Um, how would you say that those, how can those families live as ordinary radicals? Like when, when the day... When, when the day in the life of a dad or a mom just feels like survival, what, what does living radically look like for them? Yeah, I want to be careful, too, to say I'm not here to prescribe how everybody else needs to live, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've got enough to work with with my own self, you know? And, and uh, so, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm always really careful, especially as I talk to younger dads and stuff. That I'm going, you know, I, I don't I'm not interested in folks living more like me. I'm in, interested in all of us living more like Jesus, you know, but when I read the words of Jesus, I mean, it challenges a lot of the things that our culture is kind of pushing on us, you know, like, uh, 
um, retirement funds and 401k plans. You see Jesus saying, live like the lilies and the sparrows. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. You know, telling the story about the man that stockpiled stuff in barns and God said, you know, who are you? You're not, you know, like, you, you, so I think those things really challenge us. Uh, and, and, and even things that we've come to think, you know, the father's a protector of the family and you see Jesus saying, love your enemy. So what does all that mean? I, I think a good starting point is just being still with the Sermon on the Mount and our mm. partner and reading it fresh, you know, Matthew five through seven and just saying like, what if Jesus really meant these things? Cause this is, um, this is life changing stuff, you know, and, and what does that look like? And, and, and I, I don't think it looks the same for everybody, you know, even, even some of the people that encountered Jesus, uh, for instance, like two tax collectors, uh, Matthew and Zacchaeus, you know, Matthew, kind of sells everything and follows Jesus. But Zacchaeus, as far as we know, stayed a tax collector, but he sells half of everything. He started paying people four times what he owed them. So he flipped dead on its head. He challenged the whole system of economics at the time uh, that benefited the wealthy and, you know, hurt the poor. So I, I think it, it does mean that we're transformed. So one of the, the central questions for us is, is Frederick Beekner said, We've got to take our deepest passions and connect them to the world's deepest pains. And, and when our passions connect with the world's pain and with those who are suffering, we can use our gifts in a way that are redemptive and beautiful. And like, that's one of the things that we see here in Philly is we've got carpenters and nurses and doctors, massage therapists, um, gardeners, and like mural artists that are all using their their gifts in a way that is um, uh, sort of oriented towards uh, the 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 you know the most vulnerable people in, in our neighborhoods and in our our world. Um, but then I think real practically, we got to get rid of some of the clutter, you know. And there's a reason that some of us are tired, and it's because we are are running a, a hundred miles an hour when we really aren't meant to 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 go that fast. Uh, so uh, one of the things that is beautiful about not having a television is that's one less thing that clutters our life, you know, and we, we, we have tried, we're trying to build a family and a community. And so there are some things that don't, uh, that, that they just kind of suffocate that, you know, and, and so um, we, we've tried to free up even the space for family and community. Um, so I think some, in some ways by living simply, we have more space for the things that really give us life. Um, and, 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 uh, um, so and community allows that too, because community frees us up. Uh, you know, just like you hear many hands make for light work. I think we've also found like many wallets make for cheaper bills. And mm. so by sharing, uh, things in the community, we free up resources and time. Um, uh, a lot of us only work part-time jobs because we uh, have cut down our living expenses to where we don't have to work full-time unless we feel called and compelled to, you know, but we are able to survive off of very little income because we are sharing, you know, a lawnmower as a neighborhood. We're sharing a washer and dryer with four other families, you know, things like that. So I think there's a lot of ways that we can have more generative communal lives and have less possessions and expenses. So there's a real like practical side to living in community, but I think it's also just a more life-giving way uh, in some of the most wealthy corners of the world. We have some of the highest rates of 
loneliness and depression because we end up in these kind of cubicle picket fences worlds that we, we lose the, the, the gift of community. Yeah, I, I didn't have this question, but uh, originally when I put together these thoughts, but one, one thought just popped in my mind as you said that. When you're talking about community, are you talking about the people who actually live physically near you? Is it uh, so much of our communities now, like in a suburban kind of West culture, like when we think of community, a lot of times, especially in the church world, that's thought through as like a, as a Bible study. And so we kind of use those things synonymously, but it really turns, it turns into like the people that we see once a week. And we just talk about, uh, you know, what our theology is for an hour and then, and then we move on and it's not really community. We're, we're nowhere near, like we, we won't share a washer dryer with somebody that lives in the next town over, you know, what, what are your thoughts on like, community like that versus the kind of community you're talking about? Well, I I do think that part of the disadvantage we have is that we live in a world that uh, is uh, very mobile. You know, we we commute everywhere. We commute to church. You lose the sense of place and neighborhood and the stability, especially when folks are moving, you know, every few years. Um, and so like, there is an advantage that I have, you know, I think here I've lived here for 20 years and that we've been building a neighborhood together and we're, you know, doing affordable housing now to, you know, renovate abandoned houses. So we're building a neighborhood, but there's something to be said for geographical proximity, you know, to living in a space with people who, um, we're naturally trying to build our lives together with. Um, so, you know, in our neighborhood, we've got about uh, 15 houses and properties that we share, um, communal gardens, you know, a grill that we can all grill out on. We even have a, a wall that's painted as a TV that we can project movies on so folks can come together and watch them, you know. That's so some cool. of those are like, that might seem pretty far out for some folks, but I think that they're, you know, we're, we're exercising muscles that have atrophied. So you start small. You know, I, I went to one community that they called themselves a cul-de-sac community. Uh, and one of, one of the, the, the fathers there said, yeah, God's saving some people from the ghettos and some people from the cul-de-sacs. You know, mm-hmm. so we've been building community here. And, you know, now they had uh, a summer camp together uh, as a cul-de-sac. They had been doing some beautiful, like, artwork in the neighborhood together but it took a the seeds start small you know they built that over a number of years and for us it's some things have just turned into a rhythm like every labor day we have a back to school party and it started with you know a dozen kids and now there's like a thousand folks that come out we shut three blocks down and we you know it's it's an incredible celebration but it grew from just the relationships and the friendships and and you know, spilled into other blocks now and things like that. But, uh, uh, yeah, some, some things are just really simple, like having a meal together with other families that we're growing our life with. Uh, uh, some of the, the cool experiments that I've seen done are families that pull 10% of their income together, uh, and then they find ways that they disperse that together, you know, in their neighborhoods or to, to different projects or people they believe in, you know, they want to support. So, yeah, I think there's there's ways we can share money, share time, share meals, uh, do prayer, you know, together in ways that feel natural. So all, all those seeds start really small, though. Uh, and, yeah, somebody told me the hardest part about a marathon is not getting to the finish line, but getting to the starting line. You know, mm, so Sometimes yeah. we just got to start something small and grow it from there. Well, the stuff you're saying really, I mean, it's the, it's the Jesus stuff, right? And it's not really like, 
it's not complicated, but it is. It seems to be difficult. And uh, as as you keep saying, it's exercising muscles that we're not used to exercising. So, I mean, simple stuff, uh, putting your money together to meet the needs of those around you. That that's not incredibly complicated or complex, um, but yet uh, it it takes some consistency and it takes some sacrifice. And uh, and that I think is another thing that stuck out to me as you were answering that question is the consistency. I I know you've spoken at the Justice Conference, and I think I heard it there where somebody said. Uh, if you want to be radical, uh, stay somewhere for 20 years. And I think that that, was, that really impacted me as a millennial because uh, I, I know my generation, my peer group, we love to jump around. We love to be radical for a week and then kind of move on. And, uh, and so it really stuck out to me that the thought that like, if you want to be radical in this day and age, uh, just stay, stay somewhere and be consistent. You have any, you have any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And the traditional monastic orders have talked a lot about stability. I mean, that's one of the pillars of community and the traditional, like, you know, nuns and monks, they talk a lot about stability. Um, and uh, a friend of mine wrote a book, um, the, the Wisdom of Stability, John the Wilson Hartgrove, about the importance of that, because it does take time to grow uh, community. And you look at Jesus, and Jesus was uh, not just like, I mean, here's, here's you know, God in flesh, and, and he's living in real places like, like uh, Bethany and Capernaum, you know, and, and, and Nazareth. Like, these are real little places. I went to Capernaum, and it's like 400 people, families live there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, but they're real places, and I think that at the end of the day, like, that's what, what is, is very transformative is, is trying to find ways that we can— do our life together with other real people in real places, you know, as, as Jesus did that we're um, not just kind of floating out there in a liminal space, but there's some really creative stuff happening with, um, you know, urban renewal and tiny house villages, folks that are creating communal spaces and co-housing. And so I think there's some, some really cool stuff out there. Um, but it is important to remember, you know, as Roman says that we're, we're, trying not to conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, you know, to live, to live with a new imagination. And, uh, uh, it's, it's sort of helpful to name that, that a lot of the stuff we're talking about, like our, our world is built around sprawl, you know, around moving away from people that don't look like us and, and, you know, moving out of neighborhoods where there's, uh, you know, economic struggles or crime or whatever, but I think the gospel, it creates a different gravity. You know, it compels us to move nearer to the suffering and to think more communally. You know, uh, uh, I, I always say like independence may be a national value, but it's not a gospel value. Like independence uh, is, is something that we, we see counter to the gospel that calls us to uh interdependence you know to community that uh we look at jesus and we're we're really he lived in community he sent the disciples out in pairs he said where two or three of you gather i will be with you and so it's it, we're called to love and to be loved um but that uh, goes against the grain i think uh, of a lot of the rampant individualism that we're kind of uh fed especially as men you know to provide mm-hmm. for our families to be independent you know all that stuff so i I think there's a way to not have codependence, but to have, you know, really beautiful interdependent community um, and that, that, that uh, sees family as something bigger than just biology. Um, mm. Mother, Mother Teresa said, one of our biggest problems is that the circle we put around our family is too small. 
And I think we see that in Jesus, you know, the invitation to be born again means that our family doesn't stop with biology and DNA, you know, or even nationalism. Like, like our love doesn't stop at borders. The call to be born again is a call, you know, as Christ said, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Like who our family is, is now redefined in Christ. We've been born again. So we've got a vision for family that extends. And that's why it's, you know, fun for us to have hospitality houses where we can take in, you know, young mothers that are pregnant, or we can take in someone that's struggling to get out of homelessness. And I think that we, you know, uh, uh, one of the things that we've, we've held true to is that if simply every Christian family would take in the the stranger, uh, we would end homelessness and put the foster care system out of business, (laughs) you know, that, that, uh, uh, to, to love, you know, when we welcome the stranger, we welcome Jesus, as Christ yeah. said. Yeah, it's funny you say that. The last couple podcasts that we've done on Dad Tired have been about foster. I'm a foster parent. We have a foster daughter with us right now. Great, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I've, I've become incredibly passionate about that as well. Um, she was screaming earlier as we started, so I thought, oh, man, we're going to hear that in the background, which is awesome. Well, you, you probably hear, you hear screaming on my end. It's the kids in the fire hydrant, so I got my shorts <laughs> on, and I'm ready when I get off this. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome, man. Well, well, we'll wrap up here, although I will say you quoted Mother Teresa. You've served with Mother Teresa. Is that right? I remember correctly one of your books? Yeah, I had the privilege of uh, uh, being with Mother Teresa uh, Back in the 1900s, man, uh, the late 90s, I was over <laughs> in uh, India. I worked in Calcutta with her, uh, and it was a beautiful thing. I, I learned so much um, and worked in her first home, the home for the destitute and dying, uh, where we, we rescued people that were dying every day and uh, kind of had held their hands as they died. and. Uh, worked in the orphanages. But, you know, one of the things I learned from being there is one of Mother Teresa's powerful benedictions that she would give. She would say, Calcuttas are everywhere if we'll only have eyes to see. Mm. So find your Calcutta, you know. And and one of Mm. the things I learned from going to India is you don't have to go to Calcutta to find Calcutta. You know, we pray Mm. that God would give us eyes to see the opportunities around us and the attentiveness to notice those who are marginalized uh, and outcast, you know, uh, maybe right where we are. And uh, so it's been an inspiration. Mother Teresa certainly been very influential on our uh, 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 spirituality and community here. Wow. Well, Shane, thank you for taking time. I know you got so much going on. Uh, what I'm going to do is in the show notes of this podcast, I'm going to list out all your books. You've got a bunch of them, uh, many of, like I said, which I've read and I've loved. So uh, I'll put those in the show notes because we didn't even scratch the surface on some of the ones that you've written that are, uh, I know you're really passionate about. But thank you again for taking the time to hang out with us today. Absolutely, man. It's great to be on it. And have me back sometime. We'll talk some more. Yeah, I'm gonna... come, vi- come visit me if you're in Philly, man. I was just going to say that. I'm going to ma- I'm going to invite myself to come hang out and see what God's <laughs> doing out there. Awesome. Yeah. Bless you, brother. Yeah, thank you again. <laughs>